Welcome to The Follow-Up, a weekly podcast that goes in-depth into projects recently reviewed on Brand New, featuring conversations with the designers and sometimes their clients, uncovering the context, background, and design decisions behind the work. Hi, this is Brian Gomez-Palacio, and welcome to episode 28 of The Follow-Up. This week, we're following up on Pirate, a global network of DJ, recording, rehearsal, podcast, and dance studios for musicians, producers, podcasters, and dancers, offering fully equipped professional spaces at the most affordable price point. Pirate now has 700 studios worldwide. The majority are in the UK, but there are studios in Germany, Ireland, and in Chicago, LA, and New York in the US. The project, designed by Manchester UK-based only, was posted on brand new on February 18th, 2021. You can pull it up on your browser at bit.ly slash bnpodcast028. That is bit dot ly slash bnpodcast028, all in lowercase. This week, we are joined by Matthew Tweedle, Creative Director at Only, Daniel Tweedle, Strategic Director at Only, and Christopher Ulliet, Head of Brand at Pirate. In this conversation, we hear about the importance of understanding the context of where a client does its business. In the case of Pirate, where they repurpose industrial buildings in ungentrified communities, it was important to respect those communities and not impose something that was over-designed or that felt invasive. We also ask the tough, okay, not so tough, questions about the choice of Ariel as the single typeface for the identity. And we learn that, well, it's not really a big deal. It was also great to hear the detailed strategic approach that only undertook for this project and how helpful that was in directing the work. Now, let's listen in as Armin follows up with Matt, Dan, and Chris. Hello, everyone. Today, we're here to talk about pirate, and I thought I would try to work in some kind of pirate pun or sound in this mini introduction, but I will spare everyone my own embarrassment and just get right to it. Matthew, Daniel, Chris, welcome to the follow-up. Thanks for having us. Hey, Armin. Thanks very much for having us. Hey, Armin. Because we have three gentlemen on the call, and they all sound very similar, could you please state your name and title so that our listeners can recognize who's who? Chris from Pirate, Head of Brand. Dan, I'm the co-founder and strategy director at Only. I'm the co-founder and creative director at Only. Perfect. Chris, we're going to start with you. So we all have a sense of what the role of a head of brand inside a company is. But can you expand on what your role entails specifically at Pirate? Like what are some of the kind of day-to-day projects you work on or what are the brand needs of the company? I mean, the first brand need was to take the company through the rebranding process. So I joined Pirate probably like two months before we started working with Only. So it was really to shepherd the company through that process and bring on board the studio that I thought was going to work best for Pirate. And then following that, just manage the brand standards with the visual and verbal identity. Day to day, that is working, I mean, pretty much with every department within the company, across marketing, creative and content, any external parties that we also work with, generating content, product teams. A lot of time as well is spent dealing with the rollout departments, internal and external, be that architects, signage vendors, a lot of time dealing with planners for signage on our buildings. It's a very day to day in terms of the tasks that I currently take up. 
How did you end up in this role or in this position with Pirate? Well, interestingly enough, I met the founder. He'd approached me for something separate when I was working for another company. I can't remember what the idea was that we were talking about at the time. I remember thinking what he was talking about kind of made sense, but I just raised concerns I had about current pirate brand. He kind of nodded and recognized my concerns. And I was just saying that you kind of want to sort that out before going on to these other ideas that you have. It was the first time I was being introduced to the company and he was talking about them transitioning from a startup to a scale-up and going global. And I was like, you really need to sort this out before that happens because that's a lot of work to undo. Pirates already kind of grown across the UK and we did have sites in Germany and the US, but that was going to really ramp up in 2021. I think I just planted that seed firmly in his head. And I think they started looking for people to take on this particular role. And eventually he just came back to me and said, you know, you said it, would you be interested in coming on board to help us with this? And that seemed like an interesting challenge to take on for you. Yeah, I mean, I just instantly thought what Pirate was doing was great. And I also just thought what Pirate was doing was cool. Like once I spoke to him and I'd spoke to the other founder, Mike, as soon as I spoke to them, got their take on what they were doing. I mean, at the time, I think I thought they were almost like getting access to these creative spaces with a price point and the barrier to entry being so low. So everyone could pretty much get in and use this gear. I remember just thinking it was almost charitable. So then when I was looking at the current brand, I was thinking that's just not coming across here at all. It was just a really exciting opportunity. It was a bit of a no-brainer. And what led the founders to want to redesign at this point? As I say, the timing was kind of crucial because they'd raised capital and they were transitioning from startup to scale-up. And the company was going to obviously expand globally. But the company itself, in terms of staff and so on, that was going to increase significantly over the next couple of years. So figuring out what this purpose was, was crucial. It was the time that they had to do it. Lots of other things were happening within the company as well in terms of structure change. Obviously, little did we know that the pandemic was going to come in and put the brakes on that 2021 rollout. But at the time, it was crucial that we got it done then. Matt, and then how do you come in into this story? Uh, so I think Chris found us off the back of the brand that we created for Printworks, which has gone on to become quite a prominent venue in the live music in London. So we got in touch and just asked to meet up for an initial conversation, really. We were familiar with Pirate. Matt and I are by no means musicians, but we try to create music from time to time. And certainly some of the other team members had used a number of the studios across the north of England. We were kind of familiar with the basic proposition, but nothing really at all about the business itself. We met up with Chris, had some of those kind of initial conversations and understood, I suppose, the position that they found themselves in with this incredible product that was kind of totally unique, offering 24-hour access to professional standard creative space at a really affordable price point across so many locations. Uh, really, wherever they put it was enjoying certainly a level of success. We talked about the brand, we talked about the perception of the brand, certainly from the outside, as well as some of the challenges of rolling out a new identity for Pirate, you know, alongside these kind of enormously ambitious growth plans. And I think what we really took away from that meeting and from those initial meetings with Pirate was just an understanding that Pirate really had been founded to do something positive for the creative community. The drive behind it all was pure and that we could see that that passion and that sense of purpose really wasn't coming through in the presentation of the identity. We talked about what kind of an approach we would take to figure out together how to fix that for Pirate and things really got going from there. And Chris, did you interview or consider other firms? Yeah, there was a long list and then a short list and um, many conversations were had. 
I think Dan's right. I was aware of only through Printworks and then also the British Academy. And I think it was just around the time that I was making decisions on it. And ultimately, I was kind of left to make that decision within the company. I'd, I'd spoken to the wider stakeholders in the company, but they were like, you know, we've brought you on board to make this decision. And you guys then did the Roundhouse project. The three projects were so different, but I just felt that there was a way that they were tackling projects where I wanted to see what they would do with Pirate. And I think actually, ultimately, I then spoke to the communications director at the British Academy, and I spoke to some of your other clients as well. And she just spoke of how only had navigated their diverse team, be it the academicians or the kind of younger staff and who come from very different places and the way that you guys had managed that. So yeah, ultimately that's what kind of clinched it for these guys. Nice. It's always uh, interesting to hear what kind of older projects catch people's attention. And I do remember posting print works on brand new since years ago, maybe five or six years ago. I don't know if it's that old. 2016, I think we did that identity. It's a long time ago now. Five years ago. It stands out and it stands the test of time just because it's so unique and so relevant to the venue. So Matt and Daniel, back to you. Now that you're into the project, how do you get started before the design phase? Yeah, so I think the research phase for this project was always going to be fun. We obviously started off by visiting various studios across the UK and and in Europe to see kind of not only the different contexts in which they're located with so many in really quite diverse settings, often quite industrial settings, but also to get a much better sense of the culture of pirate, really. And I think what we saw was really an enormously varied picture from studio to studio with each one almost having its own kind of subculture with each different kind of musical interests, creative interests reflected in the communities that we use in those studios. Obviously as well we spoke to the founders as well as staff kind of throughout Pirate really. I think one of the things that is really interesting about Pirate which perhaps doesn't always come through is that they have this huge factory where they create and manufacture all of the studios that they embed into all these different sites around the world. What was really interesting about speaking to staff at all levels kind of throughout the business was just how bought into the founder's vision that those people were. You know, they really were there because they felt like they were creating something good and and creating something for the creative community. And also, I think what came through those conversations was how clear people were that Pirate should never be presented as anything other than an organization that was acting kind of in full service of that creative community. So there really was a clear message that came through about why Pirate existed and around this kind of collective drive to make creative space accessible for as many people as possible. The brand audit then, I think, really highlighted the need for someone like Chris in coming in and really taking control of a brand that at times presented differently, not only visually, but also tonally and in terms of the messages that it was putting out, that at times I think appeared like perhaps it was going in a direction that didn't entirely tally with what we were hearing and the reasons people were so passionate about Pirate and what made it so special. So one of the things we then did with senior management and with Chris was this exercise around brand archetypes for Pirate, which I think at one time or other you could perhaps see reflected in some of the communications that Pirate were putting out. We did things like we looked at Pirate as if it was a kind of a platform for creative entrepreneurs, for instance, a place that kind of valued ambition and aspiration and hard work that almost served and tried to, you know, attempted to launch new artists and supported people to become big in the industry through to different ideas where Pirate was presented almost as this kind of 
subversive voice for the underground <laughs> who kind of celebrated experimental music and boundary pushing creativity and put pirate in different territories and asked uh, and kind of explored what that would mean for the business and how well that kind of world represented what pirate was all about and i think through that exercise we were really able to explore what it was that was important to pirate and what it was that was going to set them up for the future i think that whole kind of process really helped to hone this kind of really honest and authentic representation of what pirate really were all about, like breaking down barriers to creativity, empowering artists, democratizing creative space. And that whole kind of exercise, it gave us a really clear picture, which I think then helped shape quite a concise creative brief and got really got us into a territory where we knew pirate wanted to be. And before we get into how that definition of the territory shaped into the design, Chris, I just want to hear from you. Was there any particular visual direction you gave only or any specific goals you wanted to achieve with the new design? We didn't really speak visually or like reference any kind of other brands. I don't think the guys only knew what my tastes were, what I thought would potentially be right for Pirate. I kept on banging on this idea about like neutrality, like we had to be open to all because the artists that use our studios are so varied and we want to be open to absolutely everyone. We needed something which was kind of default and for everyone. And also like get into the studios, understand the reality of where this brand is going to live. And I guess that in itself was a pretty big visual brief in itself because as Dan's already mentioned, we don't really have a, a set building type but they do tend to be in certain types of areas so we didn't want an identity that just wasn't going to marry with that that makes sense matt with that openness and freedom what was the initial brand of design like uh, with a brand name like pirate and all that freedom again i would imagine there were a number of exciting visual directions you could go in so what was that like at the beginning pirate is a brilliant name it's a very evocative name so yeah on paper you could certainly imagine being able to take it in lots of different visual directions. But I think like having been through that process that Dan described with Chris and the wider team at Pirate, that certainly kind of narrowed the parameters. I think as well, like we knew fairly early on that we wanted to steer well clear of any kind of overtly obvious Pirate references. So no hooks on eye patches or uh, any kind of other visual cliches i think that that would have probably just felt like too whimsical and light-hearted and you know not appropriate as a tone but i think like conversely like you could imagine like presenting pirate as you know almost quite confrontational and aggressive and that similarly wouldn't have been appropriate either i think like one of the things that came out of the conversations with i think it was bori one of the founders was just that like as a business like their role was really not to kind of give two fingers to the corporate world, you know, like almost more importantly, like their role was definitely not to sort of bulldoze their way into these local communities and like hoover up all of that local business. So I think presenting them as like an overly slick corporate multinational would have also been wrong. You can see that the parameters kind of just like narrowed and narrowed. And I think as Chris alluded to in his previous answer, like I think the thing that probably steered the aesthetic more than anything else was like going and seeing the studios and the locations where those studios were. We were really conscious that like anything we created needed to sit comfortably alongside like the fabric of those buildings and the surrounding areas. And one thing we definitely didn't want to do was go into those places and just try and impose something or gentrify those areas. We wanted to just do something that celebrated and acknowledged what existed already. 
I think on paper, you could imagine taking it in lots of different directions. But in reality, I think we probably honed in on a territory quite early on and, and didn't really deviate too much from that throughout the process, really. And with that framework or frame of mind about sadly not including eye patches or hooks, which <laughs> good call, good call, but still every now and then, I think we're missing some eye patches in the world of identity design. So with that in mind, what did you present to Chris and team the first time around? Was it just the one solution or did you have multiple ideas that you went in with? I think as a studio, like we don't really have like a hard line on the number if we don't insist that we're only going to present one route or we'll always present three. I think it depends on the project. And in this case with Pirate, like we, we presented two options, but that there was a lot of like aesthetic overlap between those two routes. I think both options felt fairly stripped back and lo-fi and raw. There was lots of like the use of black and white. And really, we were interested in trying to let like the vibrancy of the community come to the fore. I think another thing that we were really conscious of when we, when we got into the design was like trying to avoid some of those conventional visual identity techniques and models. So like one thing that really jarred with us from the previous identity, the use of this like PS monogram, and it was deployed across all of the studio walls, like pretty large. So if you saw anyone's images or videos of like people that had taken like using the spaces like that PS monogram just like kept cropping up in all the shots and I think we just felt that that was just too imposing as an approach yeah keen to kind of avoid lots of those classic identity models for pirate I think specifically on the first route we were exploring like the use of lots of old typefaces so we were looking at those old faces because we were interested in the stuff that was kind of riddled with imperfection, like those bad kerning pairs and that kind of thing. Like we wanted that ruggedness to come through and that would give us that kind of feel of, you know, being raw and imperfect that, that we were kind of looking for. So I think in the end, that first route, the, the whole thing was set in accidents. And we did have like a monogram that was like this flexible P device that was like referencing the floor plans of the studios and the different configurations of the studio so we did have a monogram and it appeared on all of the communications that we were putting together but it was always quite a secondary element and again it was really just acting as like a bit of a framing device for, for the content to kind of like do all of the talking that was kind of roughly what we did with the first route but the second route we went a step further and kind of completely deprioritized the role of the logo and instead like opted to try and build like the identity around this type driven solution using Arial which is a version of the final work that you see now and chris what was your reaction like to this two routes well i went up to manchester maybe a week before we shared it with the wider stakeholders and the founders the first route, there was lots in it that I thought was really exciting. And that's right, like visually, there was a lot in line with what we had in the second. But I remember getting to the end of that first presentation. I felt like it would go down well. There'd be no problems with it. I felt like it would also, people in the company were probably going to enjoy it. But for me, it felt like something potentially was like missing. I just wanted something to answer shorthand what Pirate was. And I remember then asking the guys before you show me the second one, which one do you prefer? Which is probably like the stupidest thing to do. Like, like let them present both things before you ask. I think at the time, Matt just said, I think we might have something in the second one. And then like the first page, it was worth, and obviously like it's changed so much to what you guys now see as our brand, but the concept was there and the word mark was slightly different. Instantly I got it. It was just like, yeah, there we go. That's absolutely something pirates should be doing because no one else could do that 
and that's honestly just what I thought straight away. I just like, I don't think anyone else could do this of our size, and especially someone who's going to grow like this. And I also thought it was going to piss people off, potentially. Some people in the company would go, why would we do this when I could just type it out on my laptop? But I also knew that the founders, like I just had a feeling, I was like, the founders are going to get this. And luckily they did. Speaking of pissing people off, I think Ariel, just the mention of Ariel does that to both designers and non-designers. I think non-designers really, they recognize Ariel and that it's a lesser font, even if they don't know why, I think they just understand like, hey, this isn't, there's something about Ariel that's not right. This might be a question for all three. Was there any internal discussion about the rightness or wrongness of Ariel for deploying it at a larger scale for a larger audience? Did at any point we're like, should we use another font? Or I'm guessing like there was an appeal to using such a controversial quote unquote typeface. I think Pirate's business model is all about democratizing creative space and like lowering the barrier to entry to creativity. So I think the like the selection of a system-based font that like everyone had access to just like reflected that really well. I think we just wanted to make like the act of, of making something for Pirate like as frictionless as possible. Like we, we didn't want to insist that in order to be able to make anything, you needed to have like these corporate typefaces like downloaded and installed and licensed in order to kind of get going and making stuff. So Arial was obviously installed on all Mac and Windows machines. And so anyone with like some basic design software could jump in and just make any of the examples from the case study that we produced. From a kind of conceptual point of view, we really liked it and that appealed to us. The other thing that like informed the choice was just the theme that like crops up elsewhere in the identity. Like we were really interested in this idea of taking something that like exists already and then like repurposing it or pirating it. So we like the idea of taking something that was on everybody's computer and then just doing something different with it. It just seemed to fit the business. And then then I'm guessing a uh, strategy wise, everything lined up perfectly for this solution, but you know, was there a moment where you were like, yes, this is it. There's no other answer to the strategy that we laid out at the beginning. I don't think so. I think for me, specifically point about Arial, I think where we were and where Pirate recognized they were was that across different channels and different platforms, depending on who was taking charge of the brand previously, it was almost presenting a different personality and a different side and a different set of priorities. And I think the whole aim of the rebrand really was to try and unify the whole organization behind this idea that we are here fundamentally to democratize creative space. And there was something inherently really clear and simple about a typeface which could be interpreted and could be understood to be the kind of a foundation of the new visual identity. It's a typographic identity. We've identified something which really sort of simplifies and captures that sense that this is what we care about. We, we care about democratizing space. We care about making the most of what assets and what, and what resources we have available. And it was there kind of there as a shorthand for, for the mission almost. It was almost this kind of visual representation in all assets that this is what we really care about. And, and for that reason, it felt, I think, so appropriate it wasn't necessarily a visual sign for me for me it, for me it fit because it really just captured what pirate were telling us um, they really cared about i think that that's what resonated with Bori to a certain extent as well was there it was plain to see and it was really succinct in the way that it was able to kind of announce that to everyone Chris, did you have any reservations about committing to ariel for you know the foreseeable future not for a second it just felt so right for pirate and when it was presented to the founders and the wider stakeholders, 
there was pretty much unanimous agreement and like ideally like ultimately like we're excited to get bigger and bigger as a company and have a word mark created out of Arial. I just we absolutely love it. And and also I mean you like you, you mentioned about the controversy. Like within the design world, yeah. In terms of our users and the artists and people that use our studios, it's really about like when we launched the brand and we did it pretty soft, like with everything we do with Pirate, we weren't making a big song and dance about it. Like the whole rebrand was about this repositioning of what we are and like our focus and our commitment to the community. In terms of the visual identity, it's not really that radical or controversial. No one's gone, how dare you? How dare you do this? Like, they don't mind at all. So I didn't think there was any risk that we'd been so controversial that actually we were going to just have a massive drop in revenue because of this decision. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, designers are known for being creative and boundary pushing, but they're the, the ones getting all like, oh my God, it's serial. This is so controversial. But there's the regular users. They're like, oh, this is cool. Let's just move along and let us in the studio and get, let us get our, our stuff done. Then how did the overall tone of voice from copywriting to photography start to take shape once the design premise was established beyond Arial? It's interesting. I think both evolved as we progressed through the creative process, I think, as we really came to realize how best to represent Pirate. I mean, in, in terms of photography, I think we were always really clear that we wanted as far as possible to capture real moments from the studios. We knew really that anything heavily posed or stylized or kind of further gram just wasn't going to work. And instead, photography that was just authentic kind of really engaging moments of real people just lost and immersed in their kind of creative flow would just be so much more inviting. So I think that led us initially to really try to embrace user-generated content. So essentially anything, any kind of photography that could be shot on iPhone, you know, working on this kind of idea that Pirate really was there with you as part of your creative process. And I think whilst that was kind of a nice idea, I think aesthetically, it just wasn't quite creating the feeling that we wanted. So over time, that shifted more towards photography that was shot on film, which really just lent a kind of a rawness and something kind of analog, which really just better suited the audience and the types of musicians that were using the studios. And also what we were trying to say that was really important. I should say as well that Pirate have got a really great photographer as part of their team who shoots on film. And a lot of the work that he was doing was really just slotting into our design work and kind of elevating it. So that certainly as well, that contributed to that development. There was certainly a shift there in terms of the type of imagery that we were using. And similarly, with tone of voice, I think, again, it was kind of an evolution, really, from those initial roots, certainly for public-facing communications. Increasingly, we just moved away from any kind of broadcast rhetoric, anything where we were kind of talking at the audience or attempting to kind of hard sell the studios, and really just try to evolve that towards a voice which either just spoke plainly and quite directly to people in conversation, or that just served to celebrate the community, celebrate the pirate community. So there was definitely a shift there in public-facing communications. And a lot of that work was done together with pirate and together with the marketing and content teams there to try and find ways to kind of inform and to empower and connect with audiences, as opposed to trying to find new ways to kind of entertain or amuse or just sell kind of at them. I think actually perhaps one of the more interesting aspects of that work that we did on voice was really in other areas of the business, like in customer service and with the help center, where again, like we wanted to kind of move away from 
efforts to kind of have this uniform kind of corporate voice which responds to people when you call them with a problem about you know equipment or whatever and actually just encourage people to try and be themselves and to be human and I think that work mapped onto that kind of wider brand strategy work that we've done that was now kind of emanating through the business that's really kind of helped to create a kind of a more consistent and coherent impression when you do interact with pirates. Yeah, it's interesting how all that does come across in the case study that you shared and that we published. Just like that, it's just people talking like normal people and without trying to impose any specific style or agenda or whatever else Pirate wants to drive through. Before we start summing up, I do have one more question regarding Ariel. I can't, like, I can't just fully let go of Ariel. So, Matt, one of the things that I loved about the identity is how specific it was in the percentage values that Ariel could be stretched in. 50%, 100%, and 300%. Was this as a way to bring in some order to the possible chaos? Did you consider any other percentage values at any point? Definitely, yeah. I think we certainly don't see ourselves as artists. Like, we're definitely designers and like we're making a system that's going to be implemented by the client so i really believe a brand is only as good as the people that are using it day in day out can like make it look so yeah i think it was really important to put some like rigor like and some order like around the use of aerial you know just from a practical standpoint i think it helps with just that decision making process you know like you know your headings are going to be 50 percent, and the body copy is going to be 100 and maybe like your CTAs are going to be 300. So it just helps to ensure like a good like hierarchy and like the presentation of the content. There's obvious practical benefits there. The thing that it does though, is that like I think over time, Pirate will start to be able to like build brand recognition like around those like fixed levels of stretch, you know, just with other identities, like how they build recognition around like successful font pairings. I think Pirate over time will become known for those fixed levels of stretch and like the relationship between them. So yeah, really important. And and we did sort of experiment with the settings and like what they should be, but obviously we were just looking for like the right level of contrast between those different fixed levels. I think there, there are like some exceptions to the rule. I know that like when we presented it initially, like that, there was excitement around like that ability to be able to like completely free stretch Arial. You know, we wanted Pirate to be able to do that in certain instances. It's normally limited to single words, place names or artist names. But again, from like a practical point of view, I think for like Chris and the team and everyone implementing it, being able to free stretch the name of a place to fit the format that's available like has a real practical benefit, which is cool. But I think like it always, it's good for all the other signage and the stuff that kind of sits alongside that for it to use those fixed levels of stretch because it just sort of tempers the like the irreverence and the craziness of free stretching aerial so it, it was kind of essential for the identity to work i think from both a kind of practical point of view but also uh, just a building brand recognition point of view to have those fixed levels of stretch yeah that's definitely an interesting way of seeing it about building brand recognition through specific amounts of stretching Chris, you have a typeface you have levels of stretching you have photography you have a tone of voice what has been your experience so far in implementing the identity? It's been working really well. It's been a simple identity to work with. It was designed with our capabilities in mind. I think that was the most important thing. In all honesty, obviously, since we've gone live, the majority of our studios have been closed and the world closed down. We haven't really been able to put it through its paces as much as we would like to. But so far, so good. I'm just really excited for when we can really put it through its paces. Is the implementation something that you're doing on your own? Do you have a team of designers or 
does each location get some standards and then they have to implement it? How does that aspect work? We have like a central team. There aren't people, although we are kind of spread out globally now, there is still a central team that's working on these things. But ultimately, it's kind of, it's so simple to put together in some instances, not for everything, but for some instances that we allow people just to to work on it themselves. But I just generally oversee that kind of output. Power of simplicity is good, especially when you have so many locations and each location has so many touch points, at least based on what I saw in the picture, like there's plenty of opportunity to deploy the system. So it's nice to be able to not, not that you don't have to think about it, but the premises are just there and they're flexible, but with some restraint as well. So Matt and Daniel, what was the most exciting aspect of working on this project for you? For me, I mean, I fully bought into what Pirate were trying to do. So really, I suppose it's the idea that we could be part of this kind of growth story that really was acting in support of of creative communities, not just in the UK, but increasingly around the world. And I think Pirate fulfills its potential, then it could really influence and play an important role for what is often kind of underserved creative communities in towns and cities all over the place. And I think that's a really nice thing to be a part of and potentially, you know, a really important thing to be a part of as well. So um, it's the promise of Pirate, really, which was the kind of the most exciting thing about this whole project. From a just from a design point of view, I'm just really excited, as you know, as Chris kind of suggested, to see like how the system gets used. I spoke a little bit about the rigor that we put in place, but I think there's still like a huge amount of potential for for creative expression within the system. So I'm just excited to see how far it gets pushed and how it sort of plays out in different cultures around the world. I think. Chris, to uh, sum up with a one final answer or final question, you know, assuming that eventually we can get to opening up the world again and the studios start rolling out and you, know, you have more opportunity to deploy this, what is the most exciting aspect of having this in place moving forward? I guess it's a continuation of what Matt's just alluded to. It's globally, well, Pirate is a global proposition and like this brand is going to just elevate and elevate and elevate as we go to different territories with different stories. And it's about that kind of global creativity. So I, I think it's just going to get stronger and stronger as we get bigger as a company. So I'm just excited to see that happen. Well, I hope it does happen for you and Pirate in the future, because I think it is a great system that deserves to be explored and expanded. I, for one, am happy that it's Arial and not Papyrus. I think that we would be having a very different conversation here. (laughs) Thank you all for sharing your time, experience, uh, the stories behind the scenes and how it all came to be. So thank you for being on the follow-up. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thanks, Armin. Much appreciated. Cheers, Armin. There you have it. It's okay to use Arial. However, please don't. Or at least not without such a strong case to use it as Pirate had. As a non-design-related takeaway from this conversation, we loved hearing how Chris got his job as head of brand at Pirate, basically by networking and being true to his opinions, which made an impression with one of the company's founders, who then came back to him with a job offer. And on a design-related takeaway, it was interesting to hear from Only how a specific project, Printworks, made an impression and is part of what got them the project. I guess the lesson is, never underestimate the past. Always be nice, always try to do your best work. And if all that fails, use Arial. Today, thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll be here. We hope you'll be there.